0: to the History of European Theatre podcast and thanks for joining me on this journey through millennia of theatrical history. There are just a few very well-known names from the theatre of the 18th century. Sheridan, Goldsmith, Garrick and some other less well-known. One playwright that you've probably never heard of is John Burgoyne. Well, not as a playwright anyway. If you do recognise the name, it's probably because he was a general in the British Army during the colonial war in America, and he played a very significant role in that. A soldier who's a playwright is a very unusual, if not unique, thing. But as a new biography of General John Burgoyne shows, he was a man of many talents, a man of many lives, who deserves to be remembered for more than just events in America at Saratoga in 1777 and not least for his plays that graced the stage of the Drury Lane Theatre in the late 1700s. In his biography of Bourgoyne, From the Battlefield to the Stage, Professor Norman Posser unpicks the often scarce and conflicting sources and tells the story of Bourgoyne from his beginnings, through his military career and his theatrical successes. The biography also gives us a fascinating insight into the social history of London at the time, where for some, life was all about the theatre, the gentleman's club and gambling. Norman Posser is Emeritus Law Professor at Brooklyn Law School and has several previous historical books to his name, including a biography of Lord Mansfield and a study of the theatre of the 18th century. I had the pleasure of speaking to Professor Posser on Zoom from his home in New York. Bourgoyne isn't a character that's particularly well known from an English point of view. If my experience is anything to go by, the uh, loss of the American colonies isn't a subject that's covered in English history classes, as well as, say, the Roman occupation or the Tudor period is, and perhaps that's understandable. I think he will be much better known to my many American listeners, who presumably do cover uh, that defeat of the English in rather more detail, particularly the battle at Saratoga. Which was a really pivotal moment in the war for the American colonies. Uh, but was there one particular characteristic of General Burgoyne that sparked your interest in him to do all this research and to write about it?
1: No, there was. It wasn't just one. Uh, I was uh, impressed by his his wit, uh, his generous nature, uh, and also his versatility. I mean, I I had heard of him as a uh, he, as a, he was a british general as you say who sender, surrendered his army at uh, saratoga in 1777 and that uh, some people many people regard that as uh, the turning point in the war largely because it brought the the french in and also because it gave the americans uh, the uh, Assuredness, shall we say, that they could win. Up up till that time, it wasn't at all clear that the uh, colonists would be successful. Uh, but uh, Burgoyne, um, what struck me uh, was um, his versatility. I mean, how many how many generals? uh, wrote plays for the London theater, very, very, if there, I don't know if there are any others besides, uh, besides Burgoyne. And actually it was my, it was that, 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 uh, struck my interest in, in Burgoyne and the possibility of writing, uh, a, a biography, uh, of him. Uh, I was, uh, doing some research for a book i wrote on the 18th century london theatre and particularly uh, david garrick uh, when i came across a letter that john burgoyne had written to garrick and uh, it it appeared that john burgoyne had written a play and garrick was interested in um, having having it producing it uh, he wanted to have it expanded. It was a short play. He wanted to expand it into a five-act play. And uh, when I read that, read that letter written in 1774, be- before, be- before the Battle of Saratoga, I, first of all, I wasn't even clear in my mind that this was the same Burgoyne who was the general in the, in the um, American Revolutionary War. Uh, but when I found out it was, uh, I was uh, struck by uh, how strange that was and how unusual for a general to write plays. And he wrote four, all of which were performed uh, at the uh, Drury Lane Theatre. In most of them, in the seven, all but one, in the seventeen eighties.
0: You refer to him as a man of many lives, um, and and clearly that is the case. He's quite. I think strange for his time, as as far as I know, um, you're clear. He comes from came from a good family, but still relied on the support of his wife's family, who was from the Earl of Derby's family, to really further his career in the army. But he does as a commissioned officer. He does seem to have been a much more humane commander than was typical for the time.
1: That's true. Yes, he he certainly was. I found that very interesting, uh, and uh, I also. I had read about his early life. Uh, he went to Westminster School, and found that there was a, a very unusual headmaster at the time he was there. At the time Burgoyne was a, a student, he went. He he was uh, he he entered Westminster School uh, at the age of ten, and he he spent five years there. And this uh, headmaster. Uh, was one who didn't believe in caning boys. He believed that the it was much more productive and successful if a boy did something wrong or broke a rule or did something mean to other boys. Uh, that um, if the if the uh, miscreant uh, uh, admitted his wrong and showed some repentance. That, uh, that was enough, uh, and remorse, that perhaps was enough uh, punishment uh, that the contempt of his fellows was more punishment than getting a beating. And um, although I can't prove it, it seemed to me that the way this headmaster, his name was John Nickel, uh, the 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 way he handled discipline was very much like what several many years later, when Burgoyne was the colonel of a regiment, that he the way he treated his men, and he he didn't like flogging, which was the punishment of choice in armies throughout Europe at the time, including Britain. Uh, uh, he 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 was very reluctant to order a man flogged. He thought that the punishment should be um, adjusted to the nature of the man, the nature of the uh, uh, offense, that, that, he, that uh, and his men should be treated as human beings, which was pretty unusual in the armies of Europe at the time. And his men loved him. Uh, even after his defeat at Saratoga, I don't know of any criticism of him being made by any officer or enlisted man in his army, and I think that was pretty unusual for a defeated general.
0: Yes, I'm sure. and and especially given the treatment of his men um, after that defeat, uh, when by agreement of the surrender, the army was effectively held in the wilderness for many years. While they the uh, political situation around them was was sorted out, but Burgoyne managed to c- come home and then still fought to get his men brought home, although that took a very long time.
1: Yes, well, w- w- the uh, the the survivors of the uh, of the captivity uh, were not very many. Uh, there were about thirty five hundred men in the army that surrendered out of over 7,000 who let, set out from Canada on this expedition that ended in, at Saratoga. Uh, but um, when there weren't 500 men left after the brutal treatment that the captive army received, first of all, in, at in Cambridge, Massachusetts, they were marched there uh, on the... Uh, uh, supposition, which was which was in the the surrender treaty, that they would be uh, they would be shipped, they would be a uh, British ship would take them to uh, back to England. Uh, that wasn't that wasn't wasn't honored. Uh, they were brutally treated, and while Burgoyne was there, in uh, as the com- still the commander of that army. Um, he uh, there was a, a an American colonel who actually bayoneted a one of the soldiers in captivity, and Burgoyne persuaded the the American general in charge of the prisoners yeah. to uh, to um, court martial the colonel, and Burgoyne personally prosecuted this man unsuccessfully because <laughs> the the court-martial consisted of three American officers it was very unlikely that they would have convicted him and they didn't but it showed uh, Burgoyne's loyalty to his men and his skill, skill as, a, as a, he, if you read the transcript uh, Burgoyne sounded like a like a pretty good lawyer uh, uh-huh. he did he did it's unusual and people
0: said that at the time. Observers said that at the time. It's certainly a, sh- a shocking history of what those men put up with and how how any of them survived. I, I couldn't imagine after having read the descriptions of it. Um, but just to be clear, um, this wasn't completely Burgoyne's fault. He certainly had his faults in, in terms of the planning for that campaign, but he was also quite badly served by his commanders uh, back in London.
1: Yes, yes. Well, particularly by uh, Lord uh, George Germain, who was the minister for the colonies and really was the overseer, uh, supervisor of what was going on uh, in America as well as he could, because there was a distance of 3,500 miles and it was all the communication was done in sailing ships. Germain mishandled the Running of the war, but he also uh, General William Howe, who under the uh, the uh, plan that the, had been agreed upon and actually approved by the King, uh, he, uh, General Howe, who had taken New York, and was supposed to meet Burgoyne at Albany. With his with his army and they would jo- the armies would be joined. Burgoyne w- was supposed to put himself under Howe's command at that point, and uh, but but Howe decided to go down and take Philadelphia instead, and ignored the presence of Burgoyne. That left Burgoyne to be alone, to be with with he had about thirty five hundred men left. To be um, uh, attacked by the entire American force, with nothing, nothing in between uh, Burgoyne and General Gates's army and the militia.
0: The other part of Burgoyne's life uh, was his London life, uh, both between uh, op- military operations and and after. And the descriptions of uh, in your book about how he spent some of his time and uh, particularly the story of the, gam- the gambling clubs and, and the inveterate gambling that went on in 18th century London is another uh, astonishing factor that I found very uh, amusing and quite worrying as well at the same time.
1: Yeah, the gambling was a—it uh, was, it was a national passion for whether whether you were a a, a member of the elite in a gambling club on Saint James's Street, or you were just an ordinary citizen. Everybody gambled. Everybody, including the king.
0: And fortunes were literally lost and won at the gam- gambling tables.
1: Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: And uh, Burgoyne was part of this life, which was also very much wrapped up with the theatre life of the time as well in London. I think these were the same people, uh, you know, who were attending clubs and the such like who were going to the theatre and enjoying the talents of uh, the man you've already mentioned, David Garrick, who was, of course, the, the leading theatrical man of his time. And he spotted Burgoyne as a potential playwright for, for very little reason, apparently. He just saw something in him.
1: Well, well, what happened was that he uh, Burgoyne decided to write a play for a party, as as a a huge, terribly expensive garden party uh, that was to be that uh, was to at the Oaks, which was a, a an estate which had been owned by Bur- perhaps by Burgoyne or maybe his wife. The party was to celebrate the marriage. Of Burgoyne's nephew by marriage, that is the heir to the earldom of Derby, to a uh, a Elizabeth Hamilton, who was the daughter of the Duke of Hamilton, I believe, a Scottish, uh, a Scottish nobleman. They didn't spare uh, any money. They the the Stanley family, which was the Earls of Derby, threw an enormous amount of money and hired Garrick uh, to produce a play that Burgoyne wrote, and Burgoyne, uh, Garrick liked the play uh, and persuaded Burgoyne to expand the play into a five-act play, which was, which was eventually produced a few months later uh, at the Drury Lane Theatre. Uh, this was before the Battle of Saratoga and bef- before Burgoyne had gone to America. Uh, uh, but after the Battle of Saratoga and Burgoyne's return to Britain, uh, Burgoyne wrote three more plays, all of which were which were performed uh, at Drury Lane.
0: Yes, mostly they're they're very light comedies, uh, operettas as well. He wrote the libretto for an operetta, didn't he? Yes, but there are some interesting characters in there. I think you mentioned one particularly, Lady Bab from uh, the Maid of Oaks, which was the play that he expanded out of this uh, party piece. Yes, uh, because she is something of um, a, a champion for women's rights, you would say. There's, there's a speech. There's a speech she makes in it, which is. Uh, very much, uh,
1: uh, very much, as you say, uh, and uh, she's also uh, is she is apparently a gambler herself, uh, and there and uh, women did gamble in. Uh, they didn't go to the clubs; they weren't admitted to the clubs. In fact, one of the clubs uh, on St James's Street still doesn't uh, uh, do, doesn't allow any women on the premises. Uh, that hasn't changed, you know. Some of the clubs, if, it, if they do allow women, and they have to go through a separate entrance. Mm. But women, wi- women did gamble uh, in their own homes. Uh, and uh, I'm talking now about uh, elite women. Uh, one of them was the Duchess of Devonshire, who and Burgoyne himself used to go there to her salons, where they where they she had set up the whole thing as a gambling uh, gambling room, mm. uh, and so ba, Lady Bab Lardoon, uh, who is a denizen of the city, uh, she loved she loved London. She's a, a fictional character in in um, uh, the the, uh, the Maid of the Oaks. Uh, they said she was as uneasy as a mole in sunshine when she left, if she was out of London for three days. Uh, and, uh, but she advocated, she said, this is what she said our men and women are put more upon a footing together in London than they ever were before in any age or country. We have our Bill of Rights and our Constitution too, as well as they we drop in at all hours, play at all parties, pay our own reckonings, and in every circumstances, petticoats accepted are true, lively, jolly fellows. Uh, I'm not sure that that's an accurate description uh, of uh, the status (laughs) status of of women in London, but I think elite women, uh, particularly those uh, members of uh, noble families uh, did have a great deal of, of freedom, including B- Burgoyne's wife.
0: Yes, indeed. So perhaps not quite the impression we we normally have of the role of women in society at that time, but, but true to say that there were certain women that um, had some influence, let's say, if not power. And the story of Burgoyne and his wife is is a rather romantic one, isn't it? Because they, they eloped very young, much against the uh, then Earl of Derby's wishes, but remained married and very much in love until she died.
1: That's exactly right. There's plenty of evidence of that. I mean, some some people could be cynical about it and said that, well, you know, his con- his connection with the family of the Earl of Derby with his daughter enabled him to have a, a, a successful career. I mean, to raise to be to, in the ranks to be a general uh, and also to be a member of parliament, which he was for 30 years. So uh, yes, uh, that is true, but I think that it's uh, wrong to be cynical about it. It was genuinely happy marriage after a few years after the elopement, uh, the Earl, the old Earl uh, of Derby, accepted Burgoyne into his family. And Burgoyne, over the years, became a very close m- member of the family. Uh, and he had a very strong relationship with the, Dar- with the Earl's son, uh, the Lord Strange. Lord Strange died uh and 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 the grandson of the Earl became the heir. He became uh, so he was Burgoyne's nephew. Burgoyne had a very close relationship with with him.
0: Yes, he seems to have been a real mentor for the the young lord, um, and tried to guide him in his life in in a good way.
1: Yes, yes, that's true.
0: So, so the playwriting comes. Um, Towards the end of his life, certainly after events at Saratoga, with the with the exception of um, the Maid of Oaks that we spoke about. And there's no doubt that he suffered, um, because of his, his reputation suffered because of the defeat at Saratoga in England. Obviously, the king and, uh, the government were looking for a scapegoat and he spent a lot of time trying to defend his, uh, actions in, in America and explain why he behaved the way he did, um, with the surrender. And he seems to have found a lot of solace in going to the country and writing plays. Uh, uh, This is where he wrote the libretto for a comic opera called uh, The Lord of the Manor. And there is a military character in that, which is quite interesting, I think, in that it sort of describes some of the things that he felt about being in the army.
1: Well, this was particularly, he was a recruiting officer, and he he explains his uh, methods, uh, which is basically to treat the men as... Like merchandise, he calls them skins, and uh, he and there's a a certain amount of money that he'll pay for certain uh, skins. He divides them into good ones that can uh, survive in any climate and so on, and are brave, and then there are ones that are not so good. They they fetch us a lower a lower price, and uh, and uh, then Burgoyne. In the prologue to uh, the play, the Lord of the Manor reassures uh, the, the the reader uh, that um, he doesn't mean to uh, attack the army or to to impede recruiting, but he wants to point out a very great uh, wrong that's being done, uh, which includes a great deal of deception. Burgoyne was—it's one of the instances where Burgoyne shows himself to be uh, a reformer. He was very conservative in his views, but he was a conservative reformer. He hated uh, maltreatment of people, but his instincts were conservative. And you see that in uh, the best of his plays, which was The Heiress, where the noble people are all pretty good but the, those social climbers, those who'd like to be members of the elite, he he, he trashes. He doesn't like them. He, so that's he's really showing it, what it what comes out is is his conservative instincts, which by uh, so we have. You know, I think that people like. Uh, Like Benjamin Disraeli or people like in America, Theodore Roosevelt were exactly had that exactly that same kind of character. They were instinctive conservatives, and yet they had this reformist nature. His last play was uh, called uh, uh, Richard uh, Richard Curdle Lion, or Richard the Lionhearted. It was different from the other plays. It, It wasn't a social comedy, it was really a historical
0: play. And was that successful as well? It was, it was.
1: What was considered successful then was not the same thing that's considered successful today. Uh, If a play uh, ran on uh, in the West End, uh, or in uh, at, or the Drury Rain Theatre for uh, twenty days, twenty evenings. That's con- that was considered a success. Uh, the heiress, though, goes beyond that because it was translated into several uh, European languages. I believe French and Italian. Uh, I'm not sure, maybe Spanish too, and performed in 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 Ireland, uh, but also in. uh, Cities in uh, other cities in continental Europe. So it was it was a real success,
0: and with the exception of that last play, they're they're all light comedies. So um, obviously, they're they're not plays that we see performed today. But would it be fair to compare them to the writers of the time, other playwrights of the time that we might know?
1: Yes, I think so. I, I think that. I think they are the same kind of play, maybe not quite as not as good as um, uh, Richard Brinsley Sher- Sheridan and Oliver Goldsmith. Uh, those I think that The Rivals and She Stoops to Conquer, and so are are um, well above anything that Burgoyne wrote. Uh, I I, 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 I bet uh, uh, he fit in very well, and he uh, because. Um, unlike perhaps some other playwrights, uh, he personally knew the social, the the people in the social scene that he was writing about. Uh, And and so, uh, and you know, um, uh, Horace uh, Walpole, uh, who never had a good word to say about, uh, about Burgoyne, uh, he had a he was a wasply waspish t- tongue. uh he said that all of Burgoyne's uh speeches in parliament and his uh, uh battlefield, whatever he did on the battlefield will be forgotten uh but uh but the heiress will not uh so you know uh, he uh so he was willing to to say a good word about Burgoyne's, and that was unusual those plays have lasted into the 21st century uh, none of none of Burgoyne's plays uh, did or, but the heiress was uh, was was played for 30 40 years after afterwards I, I haven't had the pleasure of seeing it because it hasn't been produced but I've read it and it is. It is very. It, the parts of it are very funny. In fact, some of it I quote in 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 my book.
0: So perhaps something that is ripe for a good adaptation to modernize and uh, bring it back to us. Yeah.
1: Well, I I can't predict how a a, 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 a modern audience in 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 London or in um, or in New York whether they would enjoy it or not. I would think, though, that I would say that the heiress. Uh, has a lot in it, but of course, a lot of the um, uh, references and so on were very uh, topical then, but people wouldn't understand them today. It would have to be changed, you know but but uh, and I think another thing about uh, his plays, uh, particularly the heiress, but the others too, is that they have a moral to them. they're they're not just flippant plays. Uh, one of the characters, in um, in the in the uh, the era, uh, uh, says this is what she says, and this is this is this is said at the toward the end of the play, uh, and is in a way uh, is the moral of the play. She says, "I have ever believed self to be the predominant principle of the human mind. To reward the deserving and make those we love happy is self-interest." in the extreme. I thought it's a very nice line and and so you know it and it also shows something about Burgoyne because I think he was a one of the things that attracted me to to him is that he was a very decent man a very humane individual.
0: My thanks to Professor Posser for his time and that fascinating insight into the life of General Burgoyne and the theater of the 18th century in London. From the Battlefield to the Stage, The Many Lives of General John Burgoyne is published by McGill Queen's University Press. I've put a link to some of the online bookshops where it's available in the show notes and on the website, but of course your local independent bookshop will be able to get your copy for you, even if they don't already have it on the shelves in store. I found it a very enjoyable and accessible read, and I'm sure you would enjoy it too. I've also put a fuller biography of Professor Posser on the Guests page on the podcast website. He too is a man of many lives. I'll be back soon when next time we continue the story of Tudor Theatre with a look at some of the earliest plays from Elizabeth's reign. I'll look forward to your company then, but if you have any comments or concerns in the meantime, you can contact me by email at thotp at gmail.com or via Twitter at thoetp mm mm-hmm.